0: Beloved, our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 94, verses 12 through 14. Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law, that thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit be digged for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance. continue reading in the old testament from the book of ruth the book of ruth we'll read uh, ruth 2 verse 18 through chapter 3 verse 9 ruth 2:18 through verse 9 of chapter 3 and she that is ruth took it up that is the grain that she had gleaned and went into the city And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today, and where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men, until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that they'll go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest, and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man, until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be, when he lieth down, that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in, and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. And she went down unto the floor. And did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid, spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. As far the reading of God's holy and precious word. Beloved, our text for this morning is from Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. I won't read them again at this point because we'll be moving through them this morning. I want to begin by asking you this morning, what ought to be, or what should be, one of the safest and most secure places of rest in terms of human relationship? What ought to be one of the most secure places of rest? It should be marriage, shouldn't it? Marriage, and by extension, the home and the family, should be one of the most secure places, one of the safest places, because the covenant of marriage provides a place of security, a place of rest, a place to be utterly vulnerable and open with each other. That's largely lost today. Today. The aspect of the covenant of marriage that guards the marriage, that keeps the parties within the marriage, and provides security for that relationship to flourish and for a family to grow. We've lost that because of the world and sin encroaching on the institution of marriage, on this one area of God designed and God intended security. And if it's true today, and it holds true today, even though the institution of marriage is denigrated, if it holds true today, it also held true in the time of the the judges. Days of gross immorality. Days of harsh conditions for marriages and, and family. We mustn't think that the time of Israel was... A golden age during the time of the judges. We just have to read through the judges and we see the brokenness that existed there. And yet, there is hope. There is hope. Because on the pages of God's Word, we find the institution of marriage upheld and set forth still as that place of security, the place of rest the place of security for widows and children in the time of the Old Testament was marriage. It was the home, particularly for young widows, particularly for widows coming from Moab. The place of security and rest in marriage is a spiritual picture of the sinner's rest in covenant In union with Christ. The only eternal and lasting place of security for any soul this morning is under the wings of the Redeemer, under the wings of Jesus Christ. Well, both of these themes are developed and unfolded in Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. As we see the covenant of marriage being sought by Naomi and Ruth as their only hope of redemption. As they come into Bethlehem from the land of Moab together. Our theme this morning is rest under the Redeemer's wings. Rest under the Redeemer's wings sought in Naomi's instruction. Sought in Ruth's obedience. And thirdly, sought in Ruth's proposal. First of all, we see that this rest is sought in Naomi's instruction. In chapter 2, in the verses that we read this morning, verses 18 through 23, we, we find Naomi being turned in her understanding of God's providence. What is it that turned her heart? What was that key term that we looked at? Children, maybe you remember what that key word was, the word kindness. Maybe your children, maybe your parents tell you to be kind to your siblings, to your brothers or to your sister. To show them acts of kindness. Well, here we see that it's the Lord's kindness, the Lord's faithfulness, that begins to turn the heart of Naomi around, his saving faithfulness. Ruth returns home from the field with the evidences of Boaz's generosity, of Boaz's kindness, a picture of the Lord's kindness to Naomi and Ruth. Ruth comes laden with food, bursting with the glad news of Boaz's protection and provision for her and for Naomi. Naomi responds in verse 20 of chapter 2, Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. He is our Goel, our Redeemer. You recall what? Naomi was saying in chapter one, the Lord hath dealt very bitterly with me. The Lord's hand has gone out against me. And now Ruth is saying, the Lord is showing his kindness, that he's not left off remembering the living and the dead. And now Naomi evidences further change as she addresses the needs of Ruth and herself, With the harvest over, Naomi asks Ruth a question that reveals her intention for Ruth. That also reveals her change of heart. As the Lord's kindness has pervaded her heart and her life now, as she sees that evidence. Ruth has gone out into the field for several weeks now. And Naomi sees her coming and going. She sees this young woman and she says to her in verse 1 of chapter 3 my daughter shall i not seek rest for thee that it may be well with thee at the heart of naomi's question is the issue of rest or we could say the issue issue of security for ruth and where is the best place to find that rest and that security for her it was in a husband finding a husband Ruth. And so we see how God continues to to shape Naomi's heart, to turn her around from her backslidden condition, from bringing her all the way from Moab and now to this point, asking her daughter in law Ruth this question. And now to recognize not just that God's providence is over it all, but now that she has a role in that providence. Her bitterness and inward-looking heart gives way to seeking the good of her family. She recognizes that the Lord's kindness has led them to Bethlehem, has led them into Boaz's field, and now presents the best hope of redemption for her and Ruth through Boaz. We could say here her backsliding heart is restored again, and it's beginning to function in faith. How do we know that change has happened based on this question? Well, it's further evidenced in Naomi's previous words to Ruth in Ruth 1 verse 9. In her bitterness, she told Ruth to return to Moab. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Go back to Moab and find rest and security there. In her bitterness, that's where Ruth, uh, where Ruth was pointed by Naomi. In her bitterness, Naomi thought that rest could only be found in Moab for Ruth and Orpah. Orpa returned. Ruth clave to Naomi in that marriage-like tenacity, a harbinger of things to come in a marriage with Boaz. But now Naomi's past words are adjusted to present reality and present hope, the hope of redemption for herself and Ruth. This question, my daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? Naomi is now taking the initiative. Rather than sending Ruth back to Moab, she's saying, Ruth, let me help you now. She recognizes that marriage for Ruth is the very real prospect of of hope, the very real prospect of hope that she had almost sent back to Moab. Now Naomi will set to work in securing this rest and security for Ruth, not from among the people of Moab now, but from among the covenant people of God. Isn't it amazing how God works in the heart of Naomi to, to bring her to this point as she begins to grasp what God is doing? It's the Lord's kindness that Ruth has not gone back to Moab. It's the Lord's kindness that Ruth is with her now and presents the best hope of redemption in a marriage with Boaz. The Lord is kind, isn't he? In turning bitter hearts. To see the perspective of his providence and how that providence serves the Lord's redemption. The restoration of bitter hearts, of backslidden hearts, the restoration of inheritance, the restoration of the promised seed as as we know now because we have the whole story. And then Naomi turns her question into clear instructions for Ruth to follow in securing this rest and security in verse 2. And she says, And now is not Boaz of our kindred with whose maidens thou wast? Another question. But with a focused direction to get Ruth thinking Boaz is one of our kindred, isn't he? He's from the clan of Elimelech, as we saw in Ruth 2, verses 1 through 3. Everything, all these these pieces of the puzzle are starting to fit together as we come to this point in the narrative. Of the clan of Elimelech, a near kinsman. In terms of family, he's well qualified to be our redeemer. He's that mighty man of wealth, you recall, from verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. We've seen that in The verses preceding this chapter, how Boaz has provided so generously for Ruth. His storehouse of wealth and provision has been opened up for Ruth to take hold of and to to take home. Naomi's faith actively seeks the redemption that is bound up in Boaz. He's shown tremendous kindness and generosity. And Ruth, you know, this man Boaz is our only hope. Did you know that? He's a a kinsman of ours. He's the qualified rest giver. He's the one that can provide that security that you and I need as we live as widows in Israel. The security of redemption. Let's pause here for a moment and consider the implications of Naomi's words. The implication of the change of her heart. Before she claimed the Lord's hand had gone out against her. Before she had claimed she was under the judgment of God. The Almighty hath dealt bitterly with me. The Lord's hand has gone out against me. Now she recognizes that the only hope of security, rest, and redemption lies with Boaz, to whom God has providentially led them. And here's the application for us this morning. Is this not how God deals with backslidden sinners? With those who are perhaps bitter with His providence? Maybe you're here this morning wrestling with that very thing, whether it's in your personal life or what's happened in our community in recent weeks. These words are written to encourage you and I to have a better view of God's providence and how it serves His redemption. Because when God works through severe mercy, this is where He brings backsliders. This is where He brings embittered children. This is where He brings sinners without hope. In essence, this is where He brings each one of us this morning as we're hearing the preaching of the gospel. He brings us to the only hope of redemption in the greater Boaz, the only hope of rest and security. For each and every soul this morning is to be found in marriage with Christ and union with Christ. This is the question. That God is in essence saying to us as we hear His word, Shall I not find rest for thee? He's offering that rest and security in the greater Boaz. So Naomi continues her instruction to Ruth, verses 2 and 3. She prepares the way for Ruth to marry Boaz. Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. It was common knowledge that the owners of the fields would sleep on the threshing floor at night during the harvest to protect, to guard their harvest from thieves at night. Naomi operates on this common knowledge and she tells Ruth to get herself ready. Put on your garments. Most commentators think that this means that Ruth is instructed here by Naomi to put off her garments of mourning, to put off her garments of, of widowhood, and to put on garments that indicate that she, is of, that she is eligible for marriage. She's no longer in mourning, but eligible for marriage. She's to wait until Boaz is done eating and drinking to make herself known. She's to do this privately. Well, this is a bold, bold statement. Some bold instruction for Naomi to give to Ruth and for Ruth to take up as a Moabitess in the nation of Israel. But Naomi continues. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. Thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. Ruth is to go in to uncover his feet, presumably, until Boaz wakes up because his feet are cold, and then she can speak with Boaz about marriage. So uncover his feet, lay down there, and he'll tell you what to do. Naomi's instruction prepares Ruth for finding rest in marriage with Boaz. Nothing immoral suggested here. Nothing sinful suggested here. Simple instruction for for Ruth to go and propose to Boaz. Instructions to meet the Redeemer. The words of faith that take hold of the one last hope that Naomi and Ruth have to find security and rest. Approach him this way, Ruth, because this is our only hope of redemption. In essence, this is the instruction to us this morning as well, isn't it? Instructions to to meet the Redeemer. Instructions because this is your only hope for redemption. Your only hope for rest and security in the greater Boaz. To prepare yourself to meet Him. To find security and union with Him. And communion with Him. Well, you hear lots of instructions, don't you? To go and meet Christ. Day by day, week by week, you are counseled to flee to Christ for the first time or again. Here's the best instruction from a heart well-intentioned. Whether it's from parents, whether it's from pastors, or whether it's from the Word of God, we see here the heart of God instructing sinners to come and to meet the Redeemer. To go to the place where He is, to find Him. To be united to Him, to be reunited to Him. Because this is the only place where you'll find rest and security and refuge from the ravages of sin, from the ravages of the world. How will you respond to this instruction, beloved? It's instruction for each one of us, in each of our particular conditions this morning. The Lord knows your heart. He knows whether you're a Ruth. He knows whether you're a Naomi. He knows whether your faith is weak or strong or non-existent. But here he lays down these instructions to meet him. To go to him. To find that rest in him. And so that rest is sought in Naomi's instruction. It's sought in Ruth's obedience we see Ruth responding with, with a heart of obedience. She fully concurs with Naomi's instructions. She responds with words of, of obedience. She said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do, in verse 5. Ruth is humbly obedient to her mother in law. She does not protest. She simply states that she will do it. All of it. A heart of obedience. Obedient faith. It's a lesson of faith, isn't it? This statement. Do you demonstrate such faith, such obedience, when you are instructed to go and meet the Redeemer? When you receive this counsel to go and meet Him, will you go? Will you do all that He says to you to do? Are the words of your mouth evidence of where your heart is Changed and ready and willing to obey every word. Notice what Ruth says. All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. There's no protest. She doesn't say, I will do this part, but not that part. Children, sometimes that's how you respond to your parents, don't you? Your parents tell you to do something. You say, yes, mom, I'll go and do it. And you only do half of it. We learn here that half obedience is not obedience at all. Ruth says, all that thou sayest unto me I will do. So whether it's in the home and we're called to obey our parents, or whether it's in the spiritual sense and we're called to obey the instructions of the gospel to go and meet the Redeemer... We're called to full obedience. Ruth is not selective in her obedience, but it's fully expressed here. If your only hope this morning is in Christ the Redeemer, in the kinsman, would you not express obedience to do all that it takes in submission to Him? Well, maybe you counter this morning and you say, well, that obedience is out of my reach. How can I obey? How can I obey if I'm totally depraved, if I don't have it within me, if I need to wait for God to do this? Well, let me ask you in return, is it more of a matter of inability with you, or is it a matter of unwillingness on your part? Both are not outside the realm of the power of God to change. That's what we need to understand. Whether we hide behind our inability or whether we hide behind our unwillingness to go and meet Christ. Both of those things can be overcome by Christ himself. Because what is it that draws Ruth to obey fully? Isn't it the kindness of Boaz? The kindness of the Lord reflected through the heart of Boaz, through the actions of Boaz. Isn't that how Christ draws sinners as well? He overcomes our unwillingness. He overcomes our inability. He draws with cords of loving kindness. And so we can respond because He is the one that draws us in the first place. All whom the Father has given me will come to me. And so we should not hide behind inability or unwillingness. But we should heed the instruction and do all that we are instructed to do in the gospel. When the gospel commands, will this be your statement of obedience? All that you say, I will do. We're in a life of sanctification We can apply the same truth. We know what we are supposed to do. And we know where we have to go to find grace and strength to put sin to death. And to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're so slow, aren't we, to obey? But here the gospel prompts us to full obedience. All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. Because it's the Redeemer, it's Christ who calls us to do these things. Ruth follows up her words of obedience with actions of obedience in verse 6. She went down into the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. She follows the instruction to the letter. All that her mother-in-law bade her, she did. Her intent in the words was to follow through in action. And again, here's a lesson for children, isn't it? And for older people. When we know where we have to obey, how often don't we say that we're going to do it, and then we don't end up doing it at all? Here we learn that the obedience of faith leads Ruth to the threshing floor at night. She's dressed no longer in, gar- in garments of mourning, but garbed in clothing that indicates her availability for marriage. This is not blind obedience, this is obedience that calculates the cost of what she is doing by coming to Boaz at midnight. By doing all these things, she could very well be opening herself up for scandal. It was common in those days for the harvesters to engage in immorality at night on the threshing floors. If Boaz pledged protection for her in the fields in broad daylight, how much more she needs it at the dead of night. There's tremendous risk associated with what Ruth is doing here. The risk of being found out, the risk of scandal and shame, the risk of rede- rejection, the risk of being a Moabite coming to an Israelite on his threshing floor at night. You get the picture. And yet she obeys in faith, knowing that Boaz is her only hope of redemption. My friend, will you follow through with the actions of obedience when the prospects of redemption are found alone in the greater Boaz, no matter what the cost might be? Maybe you're sitting on the fence this morning. You know what you need and you're, what you need, and you're not willing to give up what you have currently. You're looking at it. you're weighing up the risk fear of rejection, the fear of scandal, the fear of a sinner coming to the greater Boaz for redemption is beyond the pale of acceptance for you this morning. And yet Ruth is drawn to the feet of Boaz for redemption no matter what the cost is. Her words of obedience are followed with actions of obedience. That's what the gospel is calling you to this morning, repentance and faith. A coming to the feet of the greater Boaz no matter what the cost is to family, to relationships, to the world. Ruth made the better choice than or- Orpah, we learned, didn't we? Orpah went back to Moab, kissed Naomi goodbye, kissed this very hope of redemption goodbye. But Ruth persisted. And here we find her obeying beautifully. Beautifully. Will that be your response this morning to the gospel, to the greater Boaz? Then we see the heart of obedience, not just the mouth, not just the actions. We see the heart engaged in this obedience that drives the action and resolve of Ruth. In verse 7, we have the language of observation. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. We need to understand here that Boaz was not drunk. His heart was merry. That word merry there indicates that Boaz had enjoyed a hard day's work. After a good meal and some wine, he was satisfied with a hard day's work. He enjoyed the fruit of his labors. He lays down and Ruth comes privately. She comes softly, uncovers his feet and lays herself down. She comes with an attitude of submissive, quiet obedience. She doesn't draw attention to herself. Her focus is on Boaz and her desire for rest and security in marriage with him. She lays down at his feet, uncovers his feet, and she waits for a response. Here's another lesson of faith this morning. Another lesson of obedience. Faith, in one sense, is expressed publicly and and corporately, isn't it? We have public confession of faith. When someone comes to the Lord's table for the first time, it's a public confession of who Christ is for their soul. But it's also a private affair, isn't it? one in which a sinner comes for redemption to Christ, the greater Boaz. Faith, as it were, doesn't draw attention to ourselves, but it's quietly focused on Christ, a heart that comes softly, submissively in obeying the call of Christ to come. The soul seeks rest in Christ, apart from others noticing or even knowing the deepest workings of the Holy Spirit. But it comes and quietly and submissively waits at the feet of Christ. It waits with anticipation. Are you coming and waiting with such anticipation, with such quietness, with such hope? Are you coming again confessing your need of Christ? Are you coming for the first time confessing your need of Christ? Coming to the feet of the greater Boaz. Waiting with anticipation for his response. Are you ready to make your proposal for marriage? Well, this rest... Under the Redeemer's wings is finally sought in Ruth's proposal to Boaz. In verse 8, the intrigue of this marriage proposal at midnight continues, and it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. You can imagine the surprise and the shock that, that runs through Boaz as he finds this, this woman laying here at his feet. He responds with fear. What's happening? His fear is not just a sleep-induced fear at what's going on, this, this fog at waking up and finding something out of place. It's also the fear of scandal. You recall that Boaz was a man of integrity. Not perfect, but a man of integrity in his dealings with people and providing protection for Ruth from his field hands. His own protection indicates his gentle and pure intentions towards Ruth, not just in broad daylight, but in, at midnight as well. He stands out amongst the culture of His day. How many of our men stand out in this way in our culture with sexual integrity? Not just sexual integrity, but integrity in all areas of life. And so his fear here is the fear of a woman being found at his feet and the scandal that it might bring. The fear of not knowing what's going on. But there's something else to note in this verse that speaks to the future union with Boaz between Boaz and Ruth. That's the use of the word man and woman. Some commentators argue that this speaks to the anonymity of Boaz and Ruth on the threshing floor, that now the narrator is moving them into this nameless category to indicate the privacy they had on the threshing floor. But the intentional use of these two words, rather than the names of Boaz and Ruth as it's been used to this point, brings us squarely back to creation brings us squarely back to the first marriage between Adam and Eve, where these words are first introduced. In Genesis 2, and 23, we read, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, there we have that word, ish in the Hebrew, made he a woman, Isha, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This interplay between woman and man. And now the narrator in, in, in Ruth takes up these terms, man and woman. The woman that God brings to Boaz, the man. The same words are used here. The fact that they're used in this way is an echo of creation. An echo of the first marriage between Adam and Eve, and a looking ahead to the marriage that's going to take place between the man and the woman. So what we have here is not just Naomi giving instructions to Ruth to propose to Boaz on the threshing floor. What we have here is the sovereign providence of God bringing the woman to the man, a heaven-ordained marriage to further the progress of redemption. You recall what it is in Genesis 3.15, what is going to further the progress of redemption. It's the seed of the woman. That seed is in peril in this narrative. If there is no redeemer to redeem Ruth and Naomi, then there is no hope of a redeemer. But now, God brings the woman to the man. An echo of what happened at creation a continuation of the seed so that redemption could continue, the seed would continue and issue forth in the Lord Jesus Christ. A heaven-ordained marriage in the providence of God to further the redemption of His people. What a stunning picture this is. A stunning picture of the heart of God to redeem sinners like you and me. Bringing these two people together. On the threshing floor. At midnight. With all its intrigue. To bring forth. The Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's the response of Ruth to Boaz's question. Who art thou? She responds humbly with a simple I am Ruth, I'm handmaid. I'm your handmaid, Boaz. I'm subservient to your response. I'm wholly at your mercy in this, Boaz. We saw that Boaz treated her as a, as a daughter in chapter 3, but here, or chapter 2, but here she refers to herself as his handmaid, willing to serve him. At his mercy, she doesn't have more to say. She does not need to say more. She doesn't presume that Boaz will take her as his wife. But her identification is filled with humility. It reminds us of the return of the prodigal son, doesn't it? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your servants. This is how faith, as it were, approaches the greater Boaz. Ruth calls herself Boaz's servant. She's ready to do his bidding. Her response lines up with her obedience to Naomi. She's not merely a pawn. No. Ruth is willingly obedient and ready to serve Boaz. Are you ready and willing to serve the greater Boaz. Sitting at his feet, waiting for his response. Saying, I am your servant. I'm wholly at your mercy. And though she does not presume, neither does she hide her boldness. Contrary to Naomi's instruction on this point, Rather than waiting for Boaz to tell her what to do, she takes hold of Boaz's protection and security. She said, spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid in verse 9. She recognizes that her only hope for redemption is in marriage with Boaz. She's not suggesting anything immoral or untoward as some would like to suggest. She is pure in her intentions. In fact, we need to understand this statement of Ruth in light of what Boaz says in chapter 2 verse 12. Where he says, the Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord under whose wings thou art come to trust. Here's another piece of the puzzle being fit into the big picture. It's in particular that last phrase that gives us a theological understanding of what Ruth is asking here of Boaz. She's making a marriage proposal. When she asks for Boaz to spread his skirt over her, she's asking for his wings over her. The wings of the Lord under whom she has come to trust and the skirt of Boaz is the same word in the Hebrew. And so she's not just asking for mere clothing from Boaz. What Boaz has confirmed for her spiritually in coming under, under the rest of the wings of the Lord She now asks for in terms of marriage. She's asking for marriage here. The stability and security of the covenant of marriage. Buttressed with the language used by the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 16.8 where it says, Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love and I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee saith the Lord, and thou becamest mine. The skirt, the garment was symbolic of, of the covenant and the protection of the covenant of marriage. Symbolic of the covenant of the Lord himself. So what is Ruth asking here? She's asking that Boaz become the instrument of God's redeeming love for her. That's what she's asking for. Through marriage. And so what this marriage proposal points out this morning, what it points out in real life between Ruth and Boaz, is also a spiritual picture of what happens to those who seek redemption in Christ. Spiritual marriage with Him. So there is no greater security than this covenant of grace which marries a sinner to Christ, the greater Boaz. There is no surer protection than to be under His wings, eternally secure and at rest, Here again, we see Christ emerging from the narrative as the greater Boaz, as a sinner fleeing to him, taking hold of that protection and security of that covenant, of that union with Christ, saying, cover me, cover me with your skirt, cover me with that covenant, cover me with the blood of the covenant, cover me under the mediator of the covenant, My friend, it's not presumption to stand before the Lord this morning to take the bold initiative of faith and said, spread thy skirt over thy servant. Because this is squarely where the hope of redemption lies for sinners. Under the wings of the Redeemer. Under the wings of the of the Son of Righteousness. And how can Ruth be so bold? Well, not just the aspect of covenant, but it's the very person of the Redeemer Himself that emboldens her. She knows the generosity of Boaz. She knows the heart of Boaz. Boaz. In verse 9, she says, For thou art a near kinsman. She grounds the entire proposal of marriage with Boaz on the fact that he is the Goel, the Redeemer, the one who is qualified to redeem her and Naomi. He is the one upon whom Naomi and Ruth have staked their hopes of redemption. Not just on what Boaz gives, but on the fact of who Boaz is. Isn't this the right spiritual response in light of the gospel? We ground our coming to Christ, not simply because of what he gives, but because of who he is. Is he not the near kinsman? Made like unto his brethren in all things except sin. Fully acquainted with who we are, taking on flesh and blood. Is he not the go well? the near kinsman. You can go to him this morning, sinner, pleading the office of Redeemer, pleading the person of the greater Boaz. You can stake your hope of redemption upon him for as we saw, he is perfectly suited to be the Redeemer of your soul. Let's go back to chapter 2, the opening verses there. Boaz, one whose name means might, one who is a mighty man of wealth, one who opens up the storehouses of his graves for sinners this morning, regardless of where you're at. He calls you to come and to find redemption, because that's the only place you'll find redemption is in his person. Are you seeking rest and security for your soul for the first time or afresh? You'll not find it apart from marriage with Boaz, with renewing your vows again with the greater Boaz. There's no more secure relationship in all the world than to be securely sheltered under his wings. In marriage, in union. With him. It is there that a sinner is received. It is there that a child of God is kept until the day of his coming, secure under his wings. May we all shelter there this morning. Amen. Lord, we thank Thee for Thy Word, for this beautiful narrative that points out where redemption is to be found for the first time or again. We thank Thee, Lord, that Thou dost never tire of receiving sinners, that we can come again to receive of Thy fullness, to receive of Thy protection, to come and shelter under Thy wings again, May young and old alike be found there. May those who are still in Moab be drawn there. And Lord, that we would live out of that marriage with Christ. That holy union between Christ and the sinner. Between Christ and the bride. That we understand more fully what it means to be secure and safe under thy wings. Go with us now, we pray, the rest of this day. Hear us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.